I'm going to take us back to 2 Kings this week. Last week I spoke from 2 Kings chapter 5, and we <clears throat> spoke of the account where Naaman was healed. And uh, so it was so good. It's like one message sometimes this feeds another. So uh, 2 Kings chapter 6 this week, I titled my sermon, Secret Things Made Known. Secret things. We can hide nothing from God. 2 Kings 6 verses 8 through 23. Now the king of Syria was making war against Israel, and he consulted with his servants, saying, My camp will be in such and such a place. And the man of God sent to the king of Israel, saying, Beware that you do not pass this place, for the Syrians are coming down there. Then the king of Israel sent someone to the place of which the man of God had told him. Thus he warned him, and he was watchful there, not just once or twice. So many times this has happened. Therefore the heart of the king of Syria was greatly troubled by this thing. And he called his servants and said to them, Will you not show me which one of us is for the king of Israel? And one of his servants said, None, my lord, O king, but Elisha the prophet, who is in Israel, tells the king of Israel the words that you speak in your bedroom. So he said, Go and see where he is, that I may send and get him. And it was told him, saying, Surely he is in Dothan. Therefore he sent horses and chariots and a great army there, and they came by night and surrounded the city. And when the servant of the man of God arose early and went out, there was an army surrounding the city with horses and chariots. And his servant said to him, Alas, my master, what shall we do? So he answered, Do not fear, for those who are with us are more than those who are with them. My friends, I can say that to us today. Those who are with us are more than those who are with them. And Elisha prayed and said, Lord, I pray, open his eyes that he may see. Then the Lord opened the eyes of the young man and he saw. And behold, the mountain was full of horses and chariots of fire all around the Elisha. So when the Syrians came down to him, Elisha prayed to the Lord and said, Strike this people, I pray, with blindness. And he struck them with blindness according to the word of Elisha. Now Elisha said to them, This is not the way, nor is this the city. Follow me, and I will bring you to the man whom you seek. But he led them to Samaria. So it was when they had come to Samaria that Elisha said, Lord, open their eyes, open the eyes of these men that they may see. And the Lord opened their eyes, and they saw, and they were inside Samaria. So Samaria, friends, is a walled city. So Dothan, where he was, was not a walled city. So he leads them to Samaria, a walled city, leads them right into the center of the city. Then they are surrounded. Now when the king of Israel saw them, he said to Elisha, My father, shall I kill them? Shall I kill them? But he answered, You shall not. You shall not kill them. Would you kill those whom you have taken captive with your sword or your bow? He said, Set food and water before them, that they may eat and drink and go to their master. Then he prepared a great feast for them, and after they ate and drank, he sent them away to their master, so the bands of Syrian raiders came no more into the land of Israel. May God add his blessings to hearing and reading of his holy word. Let us pray. Heavenly Father, we thank you and praise you for your word. Father, we thank you that we can see how you are in control of all things, Lord, through this passage of Scripture. 
Father, we know that there is nothing too great for you, nothing impossible for you. And Father, that we should trust you always, each and every day, with every moment of our lives. And Father, we thank you that you know all things, and thank you that you are all-powerful. Father, we pray that your presence be in this place today. Bless all those that are hearing the, the word that is spoken. And Lord, I just pray that you would minister to hearts and minds. And Father, that your name would be lifted high and that you would be glorified in this place and everywhere this word goes, Father. That it would grow to produce fruit, Lord God, fruit for your kingdom. In Jesus' precious name, amen. amen. So again, the king of Syria during this time of Elisha's ministry was Ben-Hadad. And so the king, he would be send out bands of raiders to various locations of Samaria. He would send them out, and it's like one time he'd say, well, let's go to the east, and let's come in from the east, and let's go in there, and we'll, they would go in and steal. They would sometimes take some people captive, as we learned last week that they took the young girl captive, but they would steal from them. They would... Uh, take their food, they'd take their livestock, they'd take their clothing, they'd take their, their jewelry. They would just, they was making a hefty profit out of these raids going into Samaria. And you know, think about that. You look at today's world. Look at how many schemes and scams and evils are out there to try to steal from other people. And you know, that's one thing that just irks me. That's a word I'm going to use. It, it irks me. You know, I've heard some scams where people, they'd work tandem and they'd go in and, and like by department stores or malls, whatever, and they would watch someone get out of the car so there'd be one there and they'd get their address. The other one would be there at their home stealing and they'd be watching for the people to come out. Say, okay, you better quit. They're on the way home. Uh, you know, how many phone scams are out there? They're, they're, they're trying to scam you with something. Uh, scams where they try to steal your identity, get your credit card. And what irks me about that is like, come on people, get a real job. Yeah. Buy things for yourself. You know, why steal what others have worked so hard for? If they would put all of that energy that they're using for all these scams to work, they could make an honest living. So that's just one thing that irks this man is people that steal from others instead of, you know, Get off of your lazy, you know what, and go to work. Buy your own food. Make your own way. Don't steal from others that have worked so hard. Back to, back to the Syrians. You know, God must have decided, you know what, enough is enough. I've had enough of these people coming down and stealing from my people. And you know, it's so amazing that God can frustrate the enemy if He chooses to, when He chooses to. You know, Ben had died have become very frustrated. Every single time he planned a raid, you know, well, we'll try going in from the east. The defense was there. Somehow they knew he was coming. We'll come in from the west. Well, they knew he was coming. We'll come from the north. They knew he was coming. We'll go, we'll circle around and try to come in from the south. Again and again. They knew he was coming. You know, tomorrow, what's tomorrow? What's, what's a big game that we're having tomorrow? The Super Bowl. <clears throat> So, it's almost like the king of Israel had the king of Syria's playbook. What would, you what would you think would happen tomorrow? Let's say that the 49ers had somehow got a spy into the chiefs' organization. So, let's say the chiefs, they have a playbook. They have this playbook, 
and they got it all laid out exactly the first time we get the ball, well, the first time we're going to run to the left. The second time we get the, the second time we're going to throw a pass straight up the middle. The third time we're going to pass to the left, and then we're going to maybe run to the right. Well, what if the 49ers had that playbook? Every time they go to run, boom, they're going to have the defense, right? The defense there to stop them. So is the offense going to be able to score? Most likely not, because they've got their playbook. Hopefully they would wise up partway through the game and say, well, let's change things up. But it's almost like the king of Israel had the king of Syria's playbook. Knew every move that he was going to make. It wouldn't work out well in a football game, would it? And it wasn't working out well in these raids going into Samaria. Ben-Hadad says, there's got to be a spy. There's a spy among us going and sharing this knowledge. But someone knew. And I have to wonder, I wonder if Naaman, the one we spoke about last week, he might have said, Master, I know that there's a prophet in Israel that speaks with God. And I bet he's the one revealing this to the king. He's letting him know everything you plan to do. As a matter of fact, he shares what you could speak in your bedroom, in your most private place, where you think no one's going to hear. My friends, the Lord knows. If you ever thought that you could keep something secret from the Lord, this Scripture ought to reveal to you that you cannot. You cannot keep anything secret from the Lord. Even the words that you speak in your most private place, God knows. God knows your most private conversations. He knows your most private thoughts. He knows what goes on behind closed doors. You can lock yourself in a bank vault. He knows. Hopefully someone would come and let you out. But He is a revealer of secrets. Psalms 94.11 says, The Lord knows the thoughts of a man that they are futile. Psalms 44.21 says, Would not God search this out? For He knows the secrets of the heart. My friends, nothing done, said, thought by any person in any place at any time is out of the reach of God's knowledge. Let me say that again. Nothing done, said, thought by any person in any place at any time is out of God's knowledge. He knows. He knows all things, right? Now this might cause some people to... Oh man, Whew, I've said some things I shouldn't have said. You know, we're cringing. Oh, I've thought some things I shouldn't have thought. But friends, the good news is, here's what we should do. If we're one of those going, Oh no. Repent. Because our God is a gracious God. Wanting to forgive us. So there's the word. If you've thought things or you've done things that you shouldn't have done, if you've said things you shouldn't have said, repent. And say, Lord, from this moment on, I surrender every thought captive to Thee. I surrender every action from this point on to Thee. Lord, control this mind. That, 
probably a lot of us could say, that's where we really need to help. Lord, control these thoughts. That they would be heavenly thoughts, good thoughts, nothing evil. Let nothing evil enter this mind, Lord, right? You know, I find it very interesting that after this servant reveals to him that the king knows all of his plans, what he's going to do, that he says, okay, go find him. Go get him. Now, really? I've just told you that he knows everything, and you expect us to find him? That tells me that the king of Syria is spiritually clueless. He doesn't know what's going on, does he? You know, I thought, I thought as I was pondering this this week, I thought it would have been a funny, interesting story if God would have sent him on a wild goose chase. Well, we heard he's down here. Go get him. Well, he's already left. He's went there. He could have run him around for months trying to find Elisha. But God didn't. God had a plan. He let him come right to where he was, didn't he? Right to where he was. So the king thinks he's going to go and capture Elisha. But you know one thing you do not see in this passage? You do not see one ounce of surprise or one ounce of panic from Elisha, do you? If he knew everything the king was doing, believe me, he knew he was sending that army down to try to get him, didn't he? He knew what was going on. He knew that he was coming. He didn't become fearful. He didn't run. He didn't get excited. One man, friends, one man, Elisha, against a great army. But we should note one godly man. One man that talked with God against a great army. Humanly speaking, he would have been safer in that walled city of Samaria if he would have went there to try to keep himself safe. But he had no fear because he knew that God was with him. He knew that God was on his side. You know, it's almost like when God's servants are in His will doing exactly what He has called them to do, they're almost immortal. They're almost immortal. You know, the Apostle Paul was on a ship and they were in a terrible storm. And actually the ship crashed, it tore apart, and they all swam or floated on things to the shore. They wind up in a, in a little island called Malta. Acts 28, verses 1 through 5. I'm going to share. Now, when they had escaped, they found out that the island was called Malta. And the natives showed us unusual kindness, for they kindled a fire and made us all welcome because of the rain that was falling and because of the cold. But when Paul had gathered a bundle of sticks and laid them on the fire, a viper came out of the fire from the heat and fastened on his hand. So when the natives saw the creature hanging from his hand, they said to one another, No doubt this man is a murderer, whom though he had escaped the sea, yet justice does not allow him to live. But he shook off the creature into the fire, and he suffered no harm. Why? Because God wasn't done with the plans that He had for him. A poisonous stake, boom, shook it off, no harm came to him. He was still in, in the process of what God is having to do, was have, doing through him. You know, in John chapter 11, Jesus' disciples tried to discourage him from going back to, do, back to Judah because they thought it was so dangerous there. For previously, the Jews had tried to stone him to death. 
But Jesus assured them that he was on a divine timetable and that it was perfectly safe to go back to Judah. The enemy has absolutely no power over Jesus until everything that he had to do was completed. He has no power over the Lord's servants until what they are called to do is completed. In John chapter 17, Jesus spoke these words, lifted up His voice to heaven and said, Father, the hour has come. Glorify Your servant that Your Son also may glorify You. He knows the hour. The hour has come. You can see the same faith in Elisha. He knew God's timing. You can see it in many servants of God. This ought to give our faith a boost. That if we know that we are doing God's will in our lives, that we know that we have God's protection. We know that He is with us. We know that we can shake that viper off and go on about the ministry that God's called us to do. There's an amazing example of God's servants being protected also in the end times, in Revelations. The two witnesses, Revelations 11, 4 through 7. These are the two olive trees and the two lampstands, witnesses, standing before the God of the earth. And if anyone wants to harm them, fire proceeds out of their mouth and devours their enemies. And if anyone wants to harm them, he must be killed in this manner. These have power to shut up heaven so that no rain falls in the days of their prophecies. And they have power over the waters to turn them to blood, to strike the earth with all kinds of plagues as often as they desire. When they finish their testimony, that's key. When they finish their testimony, the beast that ascends out of the bottomless pit will make war against them, overcome them, and kill them. My friends, but not before. That's the most important part. Not before they finish their testimony. Then God allows it to happen. But we know that it's only for a few short days. Have faith. Have faith until God completes His plan in you. Until you finish the testimony. Elisha is again, again all calm, cool, knows God's in control. He knows everything that's going to happen. Then we have his servant, don't we? Was a servant calm, cool, collective? No. He was a little worked up, wasn't he? And I believe that this servant of Elisha that went out and saw the great army, I believe he was a young, a new servant, if you will. If you remember last week's story, so I'll just refresh you a little bit. Naaman goes to Elisha seeking healing of his leprosy, right? So Elisha sent his servant Gehazi. He said, go tell him to dip in the Jordan seven times. Elisha didn't even go himself. He sent his servant. Naaman goes after his servant commits him to go. Dips in the Jordan. Receives his healing. Leprosy gone. Skin made like that of a baby. So Naaman goes back and he wants to share this wealth that he brought with him with Elisha. All these gifts. He brought gold. He brought silver. He brought clothing. He goes back to the man of God and says, please receive these gifts. Elisha says, no. As I said last week, God is not for sale. God's power is not for sale. His healing is not for sale. But Gehazi, his servant, is hearing all these things. Elisha turns him down, 
Naaman goes away with all. Oh, Gehazi's back there like, oh, look at that, all that gold. Look at that silver. Oh, we could have had some of these things. So after he's left and he's gone a piece, Gehazi sneaks out the back door, if you will. This is my paraphrased, amplified version or paraphrased version. Gehazi sneaks out the back door. He goes running after Naaman. He says, Father, he says, some servants have just came to Elisha's house. They just showed up, if you will. They just got there. And we need some clothing. We need some provisions to help take care of them. Oh, he's, he's, well, he says, measures out the silver for them, gives them some clothes. He said, well, so certainly, take these. Take them and go. So Gehazi, you know, he grabs the stuff up in a bag. He runs back to the house, secures it in a place. He doesn't want Elisha to see it. So he hides it and goes back out and stands before Elisha. Elisha says, Gehazi, where have you been? Gehazi, of course, lies. Well, nowhere. I didn't go anywhere, Master. What's Elisha say? We already know that Elisha knows all that's going on, right? He says, was not my spirit with you when you chased him down? Was not my spirit with you? I knew that you went after Naaman. And if you've read the story, you know what happens. The leprosy that left Naaman was upon Gehazi because of his greed. But not only was it upon Gehazi, his entire family and his descendants forever, it says. He cursed his descendants forever because of his greed. Because of chasing after Naaman to get a little bit of silver a little bit of gold, some clothing. My friends, our sins will find us out. Our greed will catch up with us. So, back to this new servant. That's why I say he's probably new because Gehazi was no longer Elisha's servant. This guy's young. Probably a little green behind the ears, right? He hadn't seen all the amazing things that Elisha's done through the power of the Lord. So he's all worked. He's, he's scared. I mean, you can't blame this young fellow. He looks out there. It's an unwalled city. He sees this great army out there. What are we going to do? What are we going to do, Elisha? We're surrounded. How many would act the same way? But we're looking at the natural. He was looking at the natural. That's all he's seen. What was going on in the natural. Wouldn't it be awesome if God once in a while would open our eyes and we'd see that spiritual world? Wouldn't it? It would probably scare half of us to death. But it would be amazing if He let us see once in a while what's going on in the spiritual realm to protect us, to guide us. You know, there's a little fish called four eyes. It makes its home in Central and South America. And what's unusual about this fish is it has big bulgy eyes. And it'll float just at the surface of the water so that its eyes partly are above the water, partly are above, below the water. So this little fish will see what's going on above and what's going on below. So Lord, just give me these little spiritual bulgy spiritual eyes so that I can see what's going on above and I can see what's going on here in the natural, right? Wouldn't that be awesome? It would. Elisha, though, was not disturbed because he had those eyes that could see into the spiritual realm, right? Surrounded by the enemy, he tells the servant, Do not fear, for those who are with us 
are more than those who are with them. God's angels are always at the ready. God showed Jacob, gave him a vision in Genesis 28-12, in that dream that there was a ladder set up and angels just continually going up and down that ladder. Or stairs. Friends, they don't need a ladder. They just go, come and go. But the emphasis is, they're always coming and going. They're always there. Think about that. Every day. Every day. They're busy. Up and down. Taking care. Watching over God's people. Amen? Amen? God is always watching over His people. There's a story, and I'm probably not going to get this all just right because it's probably 30 years ago that I heard this story. Lorraine Livingston shared this story. That there was a couple missionaries, a husband and wife team, that went in to try to minister to a tribe, and it was Africa, I believe. The tribe that they were going to minister to were cannibals. That means they'll eat one another. You know, someone dies, they're going to they're gonna eat them instead of bury them. So after they was there for a little while, the man's wife died. And knowing that this tribe that they were trying to minister to was cannibals, he thought, well, I'm going to bury her out on the beach. He buried her out on the beach. And every night he would go out there and he would lay on top of her grave to try to prevent them from coming and digging her up and having her for dinner. And this went on until he knew that, you know, okay, the body's already decayed by now. I don't have to fear but this man was able to minister to this tribe. And some years later, he's ready to go home. And so he's talking with the chief of the tribe. And the chief says, so the, I, I don't remember the name, but Loran shared the name. He says, I have one thing that I just don't understand. He says, when you first came here and your wife passed away and you buried her out there on the beach, he says, where did the guards come from that surrounded you every night? Where did the guards come from? My friend, that's what God can do. It's what He did here, but that's what He can do today. Where did the guards come from? God supplies them. God supplies them. Hebrews 1, 13-14 says, But to which of the angels has He ever said, Sit at my right hand till I make your enemies your footstool? Are they not all ministering spirits sent forth to minister to those who will inherit eternal salvation? Sent forth for you and for me. Where do you stand as a Christian? Would you be more like Elisha? Standing on faith and confident? Or would you be like the servant? Fearful. Oh my, what are we going to do? Some believers today are all stressed out because of things that are going on in the world. We should not be stressed out. Because our God is... Sovereign God, our God is in control of all things. Don't let it stress you. 1 John 4, 4 says, You are of God, little children, and have overcome them, because he, is, he who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. His word is true. Do you believe that? He who is in you is greater than he who is in the world. Elisha showed us that one man with God can lead an entire army. Can lead an army with horses and chariots. Can call on God to blind their eyes and lead them right into the walled city of Samaria, surrounded by an army, right? With God, all things are possible. They went from being surrounded to the ones leading the enemy to where they were surrounded, right? 
king of Israel, says, what shall we do? Shall we kill them? Shall we kill them? You shall not kill them. Would you kill those you have taken captive with a sword? Prepare a great feast and set it before them. Proverbs 25, 21-22 says, If your enemy is hungry, give him bread. If he is thirsty, give him water to drink. For so you will weep coals of fire upon his head, and the Lord will reward you. Do you want the reward? Feed your enemy. We are to love our enemies. In the grace of giving, Stephen Olford tells of a Baptist pastor during the American Revolution. His name was Peter Miller, and he lived in Ephrathah, Pennsylvania. And he enjoyed the friendship of George Washington. In Ephrathah also lived a man named Michael Whitman. He was an evil-minded sort of guy, and he did all that he could do to oppose and humiliate the pastor. One day, Michael Whitman was arrested for treason and sentenced to die. Peter Miller, the pastor, traveled 70 miles on foot to Philadelphia to plead for the life of this traitor. No, Peter, General Washington said, I cannot grant you the life of your friend. <laughs> friend, he explained, the, the old preacher, he says, he's not my friend. He is my bitterest enemy. Washington said, what? You've walked 70 miles to save the life of an enemy? That puts matters in different light. I'll grant your pardon. I will grant your pardon. And he did. Peter Miller took Michael Whitman back to Ephrata, no longer an enemy, but a friend. But a friend. Do you want to make a friend of your enemies? Well, it might be preparing a feast for them. It might be clothing them. It might be standing up for them. Trying to get mercy for them. It might just be praying for them. But we are to make friends of our enemies. Friends. And that will heap coals of fire on their heads. We are to trust God. We are to know that He is in control. And we are to surrender every thought every action that we do to Him, to His power, to His control, and unto His will. Amen? Amen. Amen.